life is a series of opportunities to choose. Do I go right or left? Do I go up or down? Do I do or do I not do? Having a compass to guide us through these choices makes it easier to navigate them. However, knowing how to navigate isn't a guarantee that we will always have the outcome we desire. Each decision engages another set of variables to consider. Even if we make the absolute best right decision, we may not always end up where we would wish to be. As we labor together to emerge from pandemic restrictions and figure out what a new normal will look like, we are facing a whole new series of questions and choices. With so many competing claims and the high level of politicization of COVID protocols and vaccines and mask wearing, we find ourselves in a very unfamiliar place. Our faith story and the experience of the early church can be very instructive for us. Those who have gone before offer us a roadmap to follow as we figure out our next faithful step. The text reminds us that our next faithful step is more than emulating Jesus's ethical path. It is important for us to know the whole context. We need to know what Jesus did how Jesus did it, and perhaps most importantly, why Jesus did something. Our faith reminds us that Jesus leads us through the difficult and unfamiliar choices we face. There is a way through even this strange time in which we find ourselves. Knowing this way forward is more clearly seen when we walk the path of knowing the what, how, and why of Jesus's life, work, and teaching. This morning is from Acts chapter one, verses 15 through 17 and 21 through 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and around among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. Whenever faced with difficult decisions, thorny decisions, unprecedented decisions, it's easy for us to wonder if there really is a way through this. 
you know, times that we stand at a crossroad and maybe that is the question. Maybe we articulate that in our own mind. Is there a way through this? Friends, I would invite you uh, to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Okay, so true confession time. Back in the day, and this would have been, oh geez, at least 20 years ago, probably closer to 30 years ago, who had the, uh, the, the little bracelet WWJD? I had one. I probably had a bunch of them, okay, and would, would interchange them. What would Jesus do? That was kind of the question that was in vogue, and it's, it's an important question. When we look at our life and when we look at choices, when we look at the crossroads, what? What would Jesus do? What is the faithful thing? What is the way through this? Uh, And that's a really good place to start. But sometimes knowing which way to turn has to run deeper than just what would Jesus do. After all, Jesus did heal the sick. He did that quite frequently. People that were blind, people that were deaf, people that could not speak, people with uh, unknown ailments, people that were uh, paralyzed and unable to walk. He healed them. But the story doesn't end there. Because there are plenty of occasions where he healed somebody that he did it on the Sabbath. He broke the rules. Shelby was sharing with with the kids. He broke the rules. I think I shared with you, um, uh, nah, I'll tell that story another time. So Jesus broke the rules about healing on the Sabbath. Jesus also, something else that Jesus did, is that he restored community. Jesus reached to people who had been marginalized because of poor health, because of perceptions of sin, um, because they were poor, because they were um, foreigners, They were aliens in their midst. Jesus restored these folk, created a context of justice where the human community could be one. But in order to do that, one of the things that he also did was he turned over the money changers' temple, or the money changers' tables in the temple. See, it wasn't just what Jesus did but it was how Jesus did what he did. It was why Jesus did what he did. The doing is only the beginning. This is an important part of this text. It is a core core element of the text that Kimberly read earlier. The importance of knowing Jesus And it's not just knowing about Jesus. When the the community of faith, when the early church was, was asked to make its very first decision after Jesus ascended, their first order of business was to replace Judas. Now, we read this today, 2,000 years removed, and it seems kind of matter of fact, but 40 days, a mere six weeks after the crucifixion, there would be a lot of anxiety and there would be a lot of pain and deep emotions about Judas, their friend, 
their compatriot, somebody who had been with Jesus from the very beginning and yet betrayed him. Replacing him is not as easy as it might sound. It was a deeply, deeply emotional decision. But they collectively made the decision that whoever it was that was going to replace Jesus, or Judas rather, had to know Jesus. And not just kind of a Johnny-come-lately, not the, you know, somebody who had read the Reader's Digest condensed version of the gospel. They had to be somebody who was with them, this larger crowd. And there was a, there was a fairly large crowd beyond the twelve who had been with them from the beginning. The first criterion for somebody to replace Judas was somebody who had been there from the baptism, who had seen it from the beginning, who had understood Christ's ministry, who had heard the teaching, who had witnessed the miracles, who ate with them, who traveled with them, who understood not just the about Jesus, but somebody who intimately knew the how and intimately knew the why and could integrate all of that together. This was not an easy decision to make. There were only two people, so it was a binary choice. And the first thing they did once they determined you know, the criteria for who it would be is they sought God's discernment. They went to God. Now, it may fall very odd on our ears to hear that they cast lots. Um, the notion of discerning God's, um, God's purpose, God's will, God's decision in the world might seem a weird thing to leave to chance because we know throwing dice or flipping a coin is all about statistics and probability, and God doesn't seem to be too much in statistics and probability. Or am I wrong? Maybe, I don't know. Some of you who maybe have won the lottery might wonder, but, but it's all about statistics and probability. So the idea of casting lots seems to, to be a disconnect for us. But, there, but there's a piece of this that we need to kind of step back and look at. For them, in the context of the first, uh, the first century church, casting lots would have been a legit way for them to discern. In there, before anybody really knew about probability and statistics and that it would land on, you know, the, the, the six or the three or the four or the whatever it is, one-sixth of the time by statistic, this was seen as a way of discerning God's will. They believed, in spite of how we would feel about it, that God was in that. Now, we, we look at it differently, and that's okay. But as we think about how we make decisions relative to, to our understanding and experience of who Jesus is, and not just the about, but the whole package. Seeking God's wisdom in this is also a critical point. Seeking God's wisdom in this through prayer, through searching the Scriptures, through what uh, Wesley, John Wesley, our founder, called holy conferencing, which means we have conversations with one another and we seek the wisdom of, the, of the, the body and trust and know and believe that God is a part of that. This is what we do, knowing Jesus is where we start.
knowing Jesus, which means we, we, look at, we look at Scripture. We look at the gospel story. And, and not just mining the gospel for the information or, or, or reading it like you would read a biography of your favorite historical um, figure, but you step back and you see Jesus' life, his teaching, his healing, his actions, his choices, his relationships. You look at all of it together within the context of the greater whole and understanding what can be gained from what God has in mind with the whole thing. Why? You, I mean, we, we get to the knowing Jesus, but the, the larger question of why Jesus? What is it that Jesus' life teaches us? What is that that knowing Jesus can teach us that can give us the context we need? There are a lot of different places that you can look, but let's start with one that may be familiar. John chapter 3, verse 16, which is probably known to, to many of you. For God so loved the world. Start there. God so loved the world. The God who is rich, who is abundant in mercy and compassion. God loves the world. God loves you. God loves me. God loves us. God loves all that God has created. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that Jesus comes as a way of demonstrating that love and offering us a gateway to life. Not just eternal life going to heaven, because eternal is not just a place, it's not just heaven. It's not just quantitative, but it's qualitative as well. The quality of the love that we share with one another, is it self-giving love? Is it building up? Is it compassionate? Is it merciful? Does it seek justice? Does it build community? That's eternal life when we live into that. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever would believe, not, and not the cognitive piece, but whoever would trust that, that this is what's going on, that this is what God is about, and that this is what the Jesus event means. When we trust that and we pledge our life to that, we will know a life and a love that is eternal, quantitatively and qualitatively. But even then, it doesn't end. There's a deeper why. For God, and this is verse 17, for God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world. God doesn't send Jesus into the world to spank us when we're bad. God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. And as we've talked about before, if you've heard me preach around this topic, you you may remember that the idea of being saved is not just about getting a ticket for heaven punched, but being saved in a broader sense is about being healed and about being restored and about being made new and about being made one with one another and with God. If we want to really know Jesus, what Jesus did, how Jesus did it, why Jesus did it. We understand all of that in the context of what God's deeper purpose is right from the very beginning. When we know this, 
when this experience is woven into the fabric of our life, when we seek to know a way forward, a way through the thicket, a way through the forest, a a way at the crossroads, if in the midst of coming out of COVID, when when, uh, guidance and ideas are, are, are... sometimes more confusing than they were before. If we want to be able to find our way through all of this, not just as CDC-compliant people, but as people of faith, as people who know Jesus, who trust Jesus, who are pledged to follow Jesus, then we put ourselves in the loving embrace of God at that moment and seek to discern what it is that God is about in community. Boy, trust me, after 14 months, I would love to be able to sit here right now, turn a page in the book and say, okay, this is what we do. Good luck with that, right? When everything changes on a daily basis, when decisions that we made a month ago or six months ago or a year from now, well, they've gotten us to where we are right now, but they don't make sense going forward. In fact, there really is not a roadmap There's no user's manual for post-pandemic life, post-pandemic worship, post-pandemic church, post-pandemic serving of the homeless, post-pandemic shower ministry, post-pandemic United Methodist women or Bible studies. There's, There's no book for it, at least that anybody's written to this point. The best we can do, And it may not seem like much, but in this moment I say thanks be to God that the best thing that we can do is to know, to know Jesus. About Jesus, how Jesus, why Jesus, and understanding what God has in mind for all of us. A community of mercy and compassion, and wholeness, a community of justice and reconciliation. Believe me, beyond the the wrangling about what a COVID protocol and a post-COVID protocol looks like, we got bigger fish to fry than that in our world today. And the way through it all, the way that God has prepared through it all for us begins with following where and how and why Jesus continues to lead us. So I said, as I said at the beginning of the service, okay, everybody, take a deep breath. Trust and know. Yeah, go ahead, stretch too. Take a deep breath and stretch. But know that as we seek to follow and be faithful to the Christ who goes before us, we will find our way, and we will find our way together. And for that, we say thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this sermon from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope you've been encouraged. If you are interested in being part of our worship experience during this time of physical separation, please join us at 9.30 a.m. Sunday, Pacific Time, on our YouTube channel. 
Redlands First UMC. That's Redlands, F-I-R-S-T, UMC. Thank you.